Welcome back into another episode of Frogs Insider, the TCU podcast on the Republican Football Network for Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am Jamie Plunkett, one of your hosts, alongside my co-host, as always, Melissa Trebowasser, fresh off the Peloton this week, Melissa. Yeah. Grind, grinding it out. Yeah. You know, getting me at my very best. I have no sleep and I just did a climb workout with Cody. I'm, I'm struggling, but that's that's just the story of our lives. Look, as long as you had Cody there as the motivator, yeah, things aren't that Cody. bad. Can't be things that aren't bad. that bad. So, but we got a great show for you guys this week. It is a day later because of things and stuff, and that's fine. But we're we're getting this podcast out to you. We've got a lot of a lot of recruiting news, both on the football and basketball front that we're going to dive into. Uh, both teams um, got some really good additions to their program. This week, we've learned some news about what TCU basketball's roster is going to look like as well, which we'll share with you. Melissa actually sat down with some of the players and coaches from TCU Beach Volleyball last week as well as they begin postseason play here in the next couple of days. And then we're going to wrap it up with another segment on TCU baseball, which is a thing that we have to do. Yeah, it's a a thing we have to do um, because they are in season and um we got we got to say some more things about tc baseball this week but uh that's kind of a rundown of the show so we're glad that you're here we're glad that you're listening if you haven't done so yet make sure that you are subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts make sure you're subscribed to frogs insider make sure you're subscribed also to the republic of football network that is a podcast feed where you can get every single dave campbell's podcast uh they've got every D1 program in the state of Texas, almost they're getting really close, uh, has a show. And then they've got their main show as well. Uh, that covers the entire state, all of them, incredibly good listens, uh, even gambling gauchos and between two bears are, are good listens. So if you want to, if you want to learn more about your other schools in the state of Texas, I would highly, highly recommend that you subscribe to the Republic of football network to get all of that awesome content. But Melissa, as we dive in, the TCU Horn Frogs football program coming off of a national championship appearance finally has a little bit of momentum on the recruiting trail. It feels like they've had three commitments in the, in the month of April. Um, the first one being quarterback house Haney from Alito, which we talked about on last week's episode uh, a little bit more about him, the quarterback that didn't have an offer from TCU until Kendall Bryles got on campus and offered him almost immediately. Uh, and also didn't have an offer from Clemson until Garrett Riley got to Clemson Weird. and offered him there. Um, very interesting, um, especially when you consider the fact that Clemson only offers one quarterback a year. Yeah. Right. They do that. That's a Dabo Sweeney thing. He's notorious for only offering one quarterback. He's only going to take one quarterback in the class. Uh, and so the fact that they made a big push for Haney this late in the recruiting cycle, um, I guess this early in the recruiting cycle for the 2024 class says a lot about Haney. Um, and also, I, I don't have this on the run sheet, but he did go down to Austin and impress in the regional Elite 11 yes. yeah. last week. Um, ended up, I believe, as the top performer in that regional and uh, is you know kind of waiting on an invitation now to the final Elite 11 this year, which is uh, a really, really high praise. I believe the last Elite 11 quarterback uh, that um, played for TCU that made it to the Elite 11 finals was one Max Duggan, who Max recently Duggan led them to a national 
championship appearance. Yeah. So well, and I'll tell you one thing that Max Duggan never got was a full feature article in the Athletic as a high school senior or an, a true. rising high school senior, which House Haney did get um, a very glowing report in the Athletic mm-hmm. of. Uh, probably almost a thousand words um, talking about what a special prospect this kid is, what a special arm he has, how much better of a thrower of the football he was than everybody else in that elite 11 regional. And that if Mm -hmm. he were just a couple inches taller would probably be on the verge or clearly a five-star prospect. Um, So this is, this is a kid that has everything, but the one measurable, the NFL quarterbacks look for. And one thing that you read that article you, that they talked about was how, Stars often are projectability for professional level athletics, Mm -hmm. professional football, professional basketball. And so that's kind of what's been holding him back. But when you talk about his mechanics as a quarterback, his athleticism, his ability to throw guys open, to hit tight windows, um, the ball that he throws, it's just absolutely just beautiful. Um, This kid looks like, I don't want to say a steal because he obviously is being pursued by some big programs, but um, a a really, really good get and a great offer um, and commitment for Kendall Bryle, Sonny Dykes and that TCU offense. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime Ari Wasserman decides he's yeah. going to write about a thousand eleven hundred words on yeah. you, you're doing something right, and, or and something. Say stars or, don't matter within yes, <laughs> or or something terribly wrong. Um, yeah. But as as the guy who kind of touts the stars matter banner, yeah, uh, for him to to veer off of that path for a moment to talk about how how Haney is is uh, a high praise indeed. So well, and and one of the big things that we we've seen this you know over years and years is that once you get your quarterback and you know TCU had uh, Marcus Davila committed previously but but this kid's just a really dynamic personality and has played in some of these bigger tournaments and elite 11s and different things um, once you get your quarterback the other guys start to want to sign on and mm-hmm. we've seen that you know in in the couple of weeks since Haney did commit now TCU is starting to to get in the the rooms and get in the doors of some some other pretty high level prospects and get some commitments from them as well. Yes, they have. So that's, that's a great segue, Melissa, into this next little bit here, as as we're known for our segues. Professionals. So awesome. Yeah. Podcast professionals right here. Uh, two, two more commitments have come in in the month of April, both in the trenches, one on the offensive line, one on the defensive line. Uh, two big, I think we can all agree, areas of need for TCU moving into the next several years of the program. We saw how good TCU's offensive line was until they met Georgia's defensive front yeah. this year. Um, and then we've 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 talked a lot in the past about TCU's defensive line this year and and the depth issues and, and now they're you know kind of going through the same thing again in 2023. But uh, Ryan Hughes committed on April 15th. He's an offensive tackle, a three-star kid from the Woodlands. He's the number 72 overall tackle for the class of 2024 and a big get for the frogs aj ricker tcu's offensive line coach was his lead recruiter and was very 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 excited to get him on the board so uh this is a good good addition for the frogs as they start to build an offensive line if we pull back for a minute and just kind of think about sunny dyke's overall recruiting philosophy he said on the record multiple times that he really tries to recruit an entire football team in every class. And what that means is he's looking for multiple offensive linemen. He's looking for a quarterback, looking for multiple wide receivers, running back, defensive linemen, linebackers, safeties, corners. He's trying to hit every position in every single class. And so you're starting to see him piece that together a little bit so far in April with Haney and Hughes on the offensive side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, 
Travis Jackson, uh, defensive end from Tyler Legacy. He's the number 70 overall recruit in the state of Texas, number 31 at edge. He committed just a few days ago on April 21st. Another really good get for the Frogs as they continue to just absolutely recruit the heck out of the state, which is honestly a little bit of a shift from the last probably five or six years of the Gary Patterson era where they started to dip more into Louisiana, more into California. Um, but now they're, they're getting back to their roots. Uh, the TCU staff is, so it's good to see. Well, and I think it's important too, because when you talk about what the new look big 12 is going to look like, and with Houston coming in, I think being able to prioritize the state of Texas as Houston is going to, you know, have a chance to gain some prominence as well in the recruiting trail, you've got to strike while the iron is hot. Um, and you know, TCU is really taking advantage of the capital that they've gained by making the, the national championship game by playing for a big 12 championship, by winning the Fiesta bowl. Um, while, you know, Sonny Dykes talked about that ahead of the national championship game, a guy's picking up the phone um, or reaching out to him that he never would have had a chance to talk to. Now he can, he can make those calls. He can talk to those guys. And so I think that um, prioritizing, you know, the Woodlands is a great program. You know, Tyler obviously has a ton of talented athletes come out of that region as well. And so mm-hmm. um, being able to go in and bring these highly rated prospects that are going to build the foundation for your team from the inside out, uh, it's, it's a great sign. It's a great momentum starter. And now you hope that those guys go out and recruit some of their friends as well. And, and TCU can start really building a solid class. Yeah. And you look at some of the other offers that Jackson was holding at the time of his commitment, and, and that'll tell you a little bit more about the kind of player that he is. He had a Bama offer. He had a Kansas State offer, two schools that are notorious for churning out really, really quality defensive ends. Uh, he has the Oklahoma State offer, the Texas Tech offer uh, as well, along with a couple other uh, G5 schools. And then with Hughes, you know, it's it's the military academies. It's it's Memphis, it's Nebraska, it's Virginia. So, I mean, it's... Another smart it's, offensive lineman. <laughs> you know, schools that uh, don't just accept you to play football, you've got to have, have the grades to get in as well. And so uh, another heady offensive lineman who is already like 6'6", 295 already yeah. as a tackle as a junior in high school this year. So um, big things ahead for, for Hughes as he continues to develop and enters into his senior year. So again, only three recruits in this 2024 class, but it's already looking like the Frogs are going to be putting together um, a, a pretty good, solid overall class for 2024 yeah look if tcu is not the number it doesn't sign the number one recruiting class in what will become the new big 12 here then i I think you have to start having some questions coming off of the national championship you you would hope and maybe it's not this year that you see the full fruits of that labor maybe it's it's the 2025 group but i I think that class of 2024 should be very very strong for sunny dykes um and they should be able to kind of establish themselves as the flagship program of that new look, but big 12, when it comes to not just success on the field, but recruiting off of it as well. Totally. And, you know, I think they're going to be able to leverage this momentum uh, on the recruiting trail and the transfer portal too. It feels like they're starting to hit their stride a little bit. Now that spring ball has ended past the spring game, they can focus solely on this for the duration of the spring semester, as well as the transfer portal window, which recently opened up as well uh, and will last for a couple more weeks, I believe, as they continue to try and fill out maybe a couple spots on the roster for this upcoming season. Um, One of which we talked about last week and and, uh, pretty much on every episode of this show so far uh, is the fact that TCU only has two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster um, currently in Chandler Morris and Josh Hoover. But I think that could be changing soon, Melissa, because they had another quarterback on campus this week and you started to see some crystal balls come in on 24-7 for him as well. Um, 
Chance Nolan. Or, yeah. yeah, Chance Nolan. Oregon State's uh, quarterback, backup quarterback last year that hit the portal, uh, was on campus this week for a visit, met with coaches. Apparently things went really well. Um, and so we could potentially see a commitment there soon, um, yeah. which would be really good. Not necessarily to have a guy who's going to expected, who would be expected to come in and just take the starting role from Chandler, but a guy who just from being on the roster could kind of be your accountability guy. And so far as, Hey, if you slip up, if you maybe aren't performing at the level that you should be, you know, if something goes on or if there's an injury, we have a body who's capable of coming in and maybe running the offense. Yeah. This is a guy who's, you know, he's played 17 games for Oregon state, 17 games at the power five level. Um, he was, he was a, a guy that improved it dramatically from year one to year two. He was going in um, as a starting quarterback for a team that ultimately went, um, you know, 10 and two last year, got hurt, had a concussion uh, early on in the season. Ben Goldberson took a spot, held that spot was going to be the starter until um DJU from Clemson transfer and you know so I just went you didn't even try um and this this playing playing my odds here um yeah made made uh you know came to Oregon State and so that you know he and they have a really highly touted freshman as well and so he was looking at being third or fourth string it's smart of him to enter the portal but he's a very very capable quarterback Uh, his interceptions were a little bit high his um you know his his completion percentage in the low 60s in 2021 his last full season but he's experienced, he's competent, he understands the playbook, he can he can make the throws, he can he's a pretty athletic guy as well. Um, so somebody that's a great insurance policy. Um, you know, TCU looked, I think, I, I think they would deny this, but it looked like they did everything they could to out-recruit the guys they had in the room, and they didn't land one of those big fish. And so the smart play now is to get a guy who is super capable of coming in, like you said, being an accountability person, being an insurance policy, somebody that if you need them to start a game or two and with Chandler's injury history, you've got to have that, that backup plan. Um, but, but is it necessarily going to shake Chandler Morris or for that matter, Josh Hoover's confidence when it comes mm-hmm. to competition in the fall, somebody that can push, but isn't necessarily there to replace you, but is more there to make sure that TCU is in good shape. Should they lose one or, or both of those guys at any point in the, the early part of the season. So I, I think that it's not a home run, but it's like a solid double. And, you know, it's it's getting somebody on base and, and moving them around a little bit um, in order to make sure that that you've got the opportunity to do what you need to do this season. So I, I think it's a great play. He's a high character guy too. Uh, should, should be a really good fit if that ended up happening. Yeah. And he's, I think he's got multiple years to play because yeah. of the fact that he, he, you know, he's still got his COVID year and another year of eligibility on top of that. So this is a guy who, like you said, has some, has some games under his belt. He's a veteran kind of guy, smart guy uh, who can come in and contribute um, as a backup, push Chandler a little bit, um, make sure everybody's kind of doing what they need to be doing. Um, a good addition, a good addition yeah. to the locker room, just to have another arm that can get in there and throw if needed. So, uh, and he's a capable runner, right? Like, yeah. and, and this, we we know what Kendall Bryles likes to do on offense, and he likes to have a more mobile quarterback, a guy who maybe if he's not running the football is at least moving in the pocket, rolling out in the flat, that kind of stuff, throwing on the run. Uh, and and Nolan has you know flashed the ability to do that a little bit in his career. So he he was you know he he did spend a year at JUCO as well, so that might I still think he has two years to play. Um, but he was the number one pro style JUCO quarterback um, mm-hmm. when he when he signed in uh, twenty twenty. So. 
Yeah, he's, he's a very experienced kid. Um, and we've seen how valuable that type of experience can be for a team. You know, you look at Mari DeMarcado and what he was able to step up and do. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that same thing. Someone who's played a lot of football and has played a lot of football um, at, at a pretty high level that can that can make a difference if you need him to. And as, as a TC fan, you hope that, you know, he never sees the field outside of garbage time, but it's good to know he's there in case they need him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I, yeah, <laughs> I yes. agree. Yes, fully agree. Sorry, I was trying to scroll for some uh, Oregon State football website is terrible and never go there. Don't subject yourself to that. Anyways, it would be really good for TCU to get another body in the quarterback room uh, who's who's had meaningful snaps at the power five level. So that that, that's a that's a win. No matter what way you want to spin it, that's a win to get another body on campus in that way. Um, But all of this is kind of pointing towards TCU having some really good momentum as they enter this recruiting season. Um, But I do want to ask you, Melissa, you know, when you look at what they can do to address the team, not only in the portal, but on the recruiting trail in this next month or so. uh, And and I I say I ask that and I also am going to tease that I think another commitment is going to be coming soon um, for a kid that is in another position of need. But uh, in your opinion, where does TCU need to hit a home run the most? Is that in a specific position in the recruiting class? Is that a specific thing in the portal? Like, where are you thinking TCU is going to be spending most of their time and attention? My number one priority right now in the transfer portal is absolutely the offensive line. Um, I, I still, I have a lot of concerns about how that's going to shake out. You know, I, I think the spring game is the worst possible time to evaluate an offensive line. Um, and so it's hard to know what, what there is, but even if you just look, if you say, okay, we feel pretty good about four of our five starters, potentially, there's just not a lot of depth that has played a lot of meaningful football. Um, and, and like you pointed out earlier, I think that the biggest difference maker that we saw for TCU last year and the leap that they took other than obviously Max Duggan's improvement was the offensive line and the ability to execute the offense because their time existed. Um, If if you guys were reading, Steven Johnson had a great um, article on Will Patrick um, and his friendship with Steve Avila and, uh, you know, talked about the fantastic line play from TCU a year ago. And I had to like stop myself. And I'm like, when is the last time that fantastic and line play has been associated with TCU football? And it had been a, a quite a while that I could go back and think that. And so um, I don't feel great about the situation. The offensive line is I might be wrong, but we just haven't seen that unit really play together. And so I don't know what to expect. And so that's kind of where I'm hoping that that we're going portal diving and obviously, like, that's something that's going to be huge for the future, too. Um, I think that Sonny Dykes is always going to be able to attract skill talent. I think Joe Gillespie is going to be able to attract kind of the outside parts of his defense. But if we can build the trenches um, and really focus on being able to control the line of scrimmage, I think that that's going to be what may- helps TCU maintain not just good seasons, but, you know, maintain the opportunity to be winning Big 12 championships and, and playing in multiple playoff games in the future. I, I fully agree. Um They've got to find a couple more bodies in the portal. I think um, that, and I mean, it's always important to recruit offensive linemen when you're a yeah. new coaching staff though. And you had the gift of a senior laden, very yeah. experienced offensive line in year one. Sometimes that can mask maybe some of the potential issues that you're going to see in years two and three. Yeah. And so just having experienced this spring, and watch the guys that they've rolled out there, the back and forth, a lot of different uh, uh, lineups, a lot of different guys at different positions, just trying to feel it all out. Uh, you got the sense that they don't have 
the same confidence right now in that line as they did a year ago. And that yes. makes a ton of sense when you, when you lose three guys uh, out of the five starters that started every single game for 15 games. But it, it's also something that they're very clearly trying to address right now as well. How well they do that, how well they hit the transfer portal is to, to be determined at this point in, in the year. Um, but everything, you know, August is going to come quickly, maybe not for fans, uh, but for the coaching staff, it's going to be here before you know it. So it'll be really interesting to see how things in the portal shake out in the next month or so. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, you teased a little bit, were, were we on the same page there? Or do you think we're getting some good news at another position? Um, I think we were getting some good news at another position. I was not talking about the Oregon state potential transfer kid no, no, with yeah, that, with that tease. outside of the uh the uh the offensive line some other areas that you'd like to see TC gotcha address. yeah so i um i would love to see them address linebacker not mm. necessarily because there's a dearth of talent there but because of how important that position is in joe gillespie's defense right yeah. you had three linebackers last year and dylan uh, not dylan horton Wow. D winners, uh, Jamoy Hodge and Johnny Hodges, who played probably 75 to 80% of the snaps for the season. And that number might be low for a couple of those guys too. Um, you cannot, you cannot make it through another year with that little depth at mm -hmm. that position. Um, they're getting Terrence cooks back off of a torn ACL. They're getting Thomas Armstrong back off of a torn ACL as well. So that'll help. Um, you've got a freshman in Jonathan Bax who has come in this spring and just looks the part and apparently has been really, really talented. Um, you've got Shad Banks another year under his belt, um, although he's been posting some cryptic stuff on Instagram lately mm -hmm. about all his friends being gone. Um, so you've got some question marks there, I guess, but I don't think he's going anywhere. He's already transferred once. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you just look at where they are right now from a linebacker standpoint and you think, OK, there's a lot of injury history there. A lot of some older guys who are some experienced. Um, I would love to see what Jonathan Bax can do uh, to break his way into the two deep mm -hmm. this year, because that would set maybe a really good tone for recruiting that position moving forward. But I would love to see them add maybe a linebacker here quickly uh, in the portal um, and, and start to load up in the 2024 class as well, just to kind of keep that position going as far as talent is concerned and then add a little bit of depth as well. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I think that's a great point. So, um, you know, I think it, this is a, a fun time for for TCU football simply because we get to speculate and dream and, and kind of project what could be for the Frogs in 2023. And then we'll also see some commitments rolling in in both high school and in the transfer portal. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for all of that kind of stuff, folks, because it's going to be uh, as, as a former TCU head coach used to tweet all the time, recruiting is heating up and it's going to be a really fun season for the frogs to, to kind of load up again, but they're not the only team that's doing that right now. We've talked Melissa a couple of times about how well TCU basketball has been hitting the transfer yeah. portal this off season. And they added another guy uh, who was really highly regarded this week, Avery Anderson, the third and an Oklahoma state guard uh, who's played the last few years for them originally from Justin, Texas was on campus two weekends ago, visiting TCU uh, and has committed committed on Saturday. Uh, I believe that's the 22nd of April. Um, 
and is another guard that is going to be on this roster for the Horn Frogs. Averaged 11 points a game, uh, four rebounds a game, and three assists a game last year for the Cowboys. So uh, another really, really good addition for TCU um, as they start to round out their roster. But um, oh, I guess before we jump into roster mechanics, Melissa, your thoughts on Avery Anderson. Yeah, I'm really excited about Avery Anderson. I think that a lot of TCU fans kind of looked at his stats that, that maybe didn't pay too much attention to Oklahoma State basketball a season ago. And who could blame you? They were bad. Um, but I think this is a kid that when he gets into the more wide open offense that Jamie Dixon has started to deploy here over the last um, last season or so has a chance to uh, see those numbers decrease dramatically. He's also a guy that absolutely lives on defense. Um, he plays with a chip on his shoulder on that end of the court. He has a real pride for it. You wrote, you talked about that last week. You wrote beautifully about that as well in your interview with him. He has a desire to make an impact on both ends of the floor. And, you know, one of the things that that you're going to be losing with Mike Miles, um, you know, heading to the NF NBA draft is just kind of that leadership on the court and that kind of that that mentality of I'm going to drag my team to the finish line. And I think that we're going to see that in Avery Anderson. Um, love his intangibles, love the attitude, the chip that he plays with. And I think that you're going to see him be a much more effective offensive player um, and hopefully uh, see his three point shooting climb a little bit as well um, in this system. But I think he was uh, a hugely important piece, not just for TCU's roster, but to keep him away from somebody like Baylor too. Um, I, I think mm -hmm. that that he would have been devastating to have to play against. So I really applaud J.B. Dixon, um, who has had to completely change his recruiting and roster building style over the last couple of years. I feel like he has adjusted to the new world of college basketball in a way that that's really impressive. Um, he was not recruiting a ton of one and dones, even when he had Pitt really rolling. Um, and it's not what he's doing now, but he's shown that he can get guys in and quickly develop them and that he's willing to be malleable with the system that he runs in order to take advantage of the top talent that he can get in the portal or through recruiting. So uh, I expect this team to take a little bit of a step backwards from kind of what we saw just because Mike Miles was such a special player, but it looks like, and, and we're going to talk about some other pieces that, that could be changing here, but it looks like there's going to be the foundation for a really competitive team in the Big 12 that, that should be competing for, you know, an NCAA tournament spot for a third consecutive year, which would be writing more history for TC basketball. Uh, absolutely. You know, I, th I think the really cool thing about Jamie Dixon is when you when you think about coaches that have been around for a really long time, who have been in this industry for a long time, you normally kind of picture an old stodgy guy who yeah. isn't willing to change, who hates yeah. the transfer portal, who hates NIL, who's really resistant to that, you know, a la Jim Beheim, uh, some of these other guys that have been in the industry for a long time, Gary Patterson, even in the football era, uh, notorious for not liking the way that the game was going as far as the portal and NIL. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. And not only does he have the ability, Jamie Dixon, in, in this case, to adapt to the new way that things are going, uh, the new abilities that, that these student athletes have off the court as far as their own autonomy is concerned. He really, truly, genuinely seems to enjoy it and think it's good yeah. for the game, right? Yeah. And so not, not only is he able to adjust to the way that you have to recruit now and the, the, the faster way you have to maybe get off of your game plan and, and create something new for the guys on your roster, but he, he genuinely thinks it's a positive thing for student athletes to have that level of say-so. Uh, and, and I think that that comes through 
in his recruiting pitch. It must. I mean, when yeah. you look at the guys that he's brought in in the last couple of years, I mean, Emmanuel Miller didn't start his career here. Damian Baugh didn't start his career here. Chuck O'Bannon and Micah Peavy didn't start their careers here. And now you've got four guys in the transfer portal that have committed to TCU for the 2023 season that started their careers other places who are, are, are willing to be coached by Jamie Dixon. They've seen the results on the court and now they want to be a part of it. And I think that that's absolutely huge in this day and age for a coach to have that kind of pull, not only at the, at the high school recruiting level, which he's shown he can do very well, but also, uh, you know, guys around the, the country who are already playing college ball are very clearly yeah. keeping an eye on TCU to see what happens with their roster year over year. Uh, and that's a full testament to Jamie Dixon, Tony Benford, Jamie McNeely, yeah. uh, Dwayne Broussard, the entire staff uh, for the way that they coach, the way that they recruit, and the culture that they've helped instill for, for TCU basketball over the last seven years. So a really, really um, positive uh, vibe, I think, for TCU basketball right now all the way around. Yeah, I completely agree. And to bring in these high level transfers that were getting offers from a lot of quote unquote bigger, you know, quote unquote better programs and to do so with Mike Miles, you know, not being a part of this roster. I, I think mm -hmm. that again, I think it comes back to the culture. Um, obviously TCU's invested in facilities um, and, and TCU is so good at selling itself in the athletics department. Um, I, I think that, and I'll talk about that. We talk about beach volleyball, but just the culture around TCU student athletes and the togetherness, the, the healthy competition between those groups, I think is really good. That vibe hundred percent, you can feel it when you are visiting as a student athlete, like you can sense the support that these programs have for each other. And um, Jamie Dixon has is, is done an excellent job of capitalizing it. I think TCU fans now want to see, Hey, you're doing all the right things off the court. Let's, can we stay healthy for a season? Could we get the right pieces and could we like advance in the, in the NCAA tournament and, and make that elusive sweet 16? Um, it, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, that that's going to be out of the question in 2024. I don't think it will be for sure. I mean, with the, with the guys that they brought, I mean, you talk about Jameer Nelson Jr., a true scoring point guard who's capable of distributing the basketball. Trey Tennyson, who is a, the definition of a sharpshooter yeah. from three-point range. And if you had one really bad knock for TCU basketball last year, it was that they could not shoot yeah. the three outside of Mike Miles, who had his best year of his college career shooting the three. And I think he was at around 36, 37%. Ray Tennyson's almost a career 40% three-point yeah. shooter. So you've got, you've got that in your bag now. You've got a guy like Avery Anderson at the guard position who's a scorer and a capable rebounder. Uh, and you've got Asam Mustafa coming in as a big man who's a capable rebounder, a proven shot blocker who can also hold his own and has a good bag of post moves. So you're looking at a team that could be very good defensively again and also have maybe even a little bit more well-rounded scoring ability yeah. than you saw from this team the last couple of years who, uh, for as good as some of these other pieces were, were very dependent on Mike to get his day in and day out. Now you mentioned all of the things coming in. That brings us to the potential bad news. What are you hearing about the two guys that are kind of on the fringes here and Emmanuel Miller and Damian Boss? And then also um, is Chuck O'Bannon coming back for a 47th college basketball season? Uh, so we'll start with Chuck. Chuck is coming back. He is confirmed that he'll be back for a seventh year. Uh, we kind of been speculating that for a few weeks that he would be returning. Uh, that is official now. So he is going to be back holding down that three spot, that first forward spot in the front court alongside Micah PV. Those guys are going to be really integral to this team again next year. I know that uh, like people talk a lot about Chuck uh, for good or for worse or whatever. I think it's, I, I, I like that he's coming back. I'll say that I, I do 
think that he contributes a lot to this team when he's shooting. He's yeah. one of the best when he's shooting. Well, he is one of the best shooters in the country. There is no doubt about that. We saw that in the big 12 tournament. We saw that in the NCAA tournament, the last couple of years when he's on, he's incredibly on. We need to see more consistency from that. Now what will be his seventh year of college basketball, but if he can turn into a guy that gives you 15 points, four rebounds and shoots 37% from three, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, we're talking like second team, all big 12 at that point, but uh, that's a very capable, there's no reason that he's not capable of giving you that night in and night out. It's just a matter of putting it all together on a more consistent basis. Well, I think I do have to give him credit. His defense improved dramatically. I mean, he was the leading yes. shot blocker for TCU a season ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did that from that three spot. So, yeah, I mean, if he can be even a three and D guy that they can give you, you know, probably around 26, 22, 26 minutes mm-hmm. a game, um, split that time with, with Micah PV, I think that. Um, it's, it's a good thing. And his leadership, his veteran, he, he really bought in. I mean, he's not coming back because he's not bought into what Jamie Dixon is selling. And so um, I think that that also speaks to the culture around that program. And and mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think, I don't think there's any way Chuck shoots as badly for as long as he did this past regular season. I think we see closer to what we saw kind of in the postseason, the big 12 tournament out of him. Um, Emmanuel Miller, some, you have some potential, potential news on him yes. as well. Yeah, Eman uh, will not be returning to TCU this year. He has chosen to stay in the draft process, go through that process, uh, and find a professional basketball spot somewhere, whether that's NBA, G League, Europe, wherever it might be. Um, I get it, right? I mean, we've t- we've talked about Chuck coming back for a seventh year. Emmanuel's been in in college basketball. I mean, his his career started with a commitment to Virginia Tech yeah. uh, before Buzz Williams moved to Texas A&M and obviously ended up at, at Texas A&M and has spent his last few years here um, at TCU. But Emmanuel has, has done, I think, everything that you really need to do at the college level outside of maybe show that you can be a true stretch four and really hit threes consistently. Um, but he never really was a volume shooter enough from that standpoint at TCU, uh, they didn't need him to, to really be that they needed him for his defensive presence, for his rebounding, uh, for his energy, for his leadership, uh, some of those intangibles as well off the court. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm personally selfishly really sad to see him go mm-hmm. great, great human being. One of my favorite guys to ever cover at TCU, regardless of sport, um, very kind, very gracious with his time. Uh, and was, you know, outside of Mike, probably the most consistent TCU presence in the press room after yeah. a loss. Yeah. And, and, and like he really, he, he took that mantle uh, and, and, you know, felt, I think, responsible a lot of the time for going out there. Uh, and being a representative for TCU, even when things weren't as easy as they could have He been. joins the uh, the Garrett Wallow Hall of Fame and guys that you mm-hmm. get fed to the Lions after a tough loss, but handle it with total grace and class. I mean, you think about the guys that have been in that position in TCU sports over the last few years. I mean, you're talking about Desmond Bain. You're talking yeah. about Mike Miles. You're talking about Garrett Wallow. Uh, you know, last year, ben Max Banigou. Duggan. Yeah, ben Max Banigou. Duggan. Like these guys that have had, you know, and hopefully will have really good professional careers beyond this place um, have been those ones that have gone out there after losses, after, you know, you know, injuries and things just have all the adversity you can possibly imagine. And they've stood at that podium. They've answered questions. They've been responsible and, and, and 
you know, they've been leaders in that way for their for their colleagues. And so I think that that can't go understated when you're talking about Emmanuel Miller is that he's in that company uh, when it comes to, you know, taking responsibility and being a leader uh, and letting that translate into your actions, not only on the court, but off of it as well. I'll say from a from a professional basketball standpoint, I think his road to the NBA is going to be an uphill one. Um, he's a little bit of a tweener. He's not quite big enough to be a true power forward, but he doesn't shoot it well enough to be a true small forward. Um, I, I think he can definitely carve out a role for himself with his defense, his athleticism. And if he can work on that jump shot a little bit, um, I think he's a guy that's probably going to be undrafted or a late second round draft pick. Maybe somebody falls in love with what he can do in a workout. Um, But I I see him kind of taking that G League route. One thing I will say is I do think he is the exact type of player that can make a lot of money playing overseas and on a really good team for a really long time and maybe gets a second chance at the NBA that way. Um, but I, I think that, like you said, I mean, he's done everything that TC has asked him to do. He's been a great um, player on the court. He's been a great person off the court. If this is where he feels like it's the best move for him, then I'm going to be 100% supportive of it and excited to watch. And, and you know, I really hope that um, that he gets that opportunity. And, and I think he will. He just probably isn't going to be able to take the conventional route to do it. But with the expansion of the, the two-way contracts and different things that are in the, is in the new collective bargaining agreement, I think there'll definitely be an opportunity for him to be in professional basketball stateside. Uh, I agree. Uh, you know, I think it, it it all depends on where he goes, the fit that he that he finds, and, and where he's capable of really showcasing what he is good yeah. at. I mean, he is an incredible rebounder. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's he takes uh, a lot of pride in being a great defender as well. He maybe doesn't have some of the lateral quickness that you need to see from guys who are going to be defending wings in the NBA, but he makes up for that, I think with incredible footwork. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's really good at recovering when he does make a mistake. He's not a guy that's going to make a mistake and then just let that compound into multiple mistakes on the defensive side. So, you know, I, I think one of the easiest things to coach is a jump shot, honestly, um, you know, it's all about mechanics and form and yeah. repetition. And so I think if, if he gets in the hands of the right staff, they can really mold him into sure. a legitimate three and D guy in the NBA. Can't, so can't you see him like on the Spurs, like in a couple of years? Oh, it's, yeah. Like the old school yeah. Spurs, like where they were just yeah. like, we're going to grind you into a fine powder. Yeah. He would yep. absolutely fit in really, really well. I think honestly, you know, you, you talk about teams where he might fit right now i would see oklahoma city as being probably a really good fit he'd team up with former frog kenrich williams there mm-hmm. um I, I you know i could see miami being a really good fit for him as well um just with the style of basketball that those those yeah. teams play but for sure you know i it, it, i'm not an nba draft expert by any stretch of the imagination so we'll let the the real folks get into that when time comes but emmanuel miller will not be a horn frog and uh i just, just want to say Thanks, man, because yeah. it was a real pleasure to cover you for, for a couple of years um, and and get to see you do your, you know, hone your craft as well as you did. That was that was awesome. Um, so that's my Chris Farley SNL. That was awesome moment. Anyways, perfect. Moving right along to Damian Baugh, who is still up in the air. He has a, he has declared. I think I said this last week. He has declared while maintaining his eligibility. Yes. And so now it becomes. When does he finally decide what he's going to do? Well, there's a deadline to that. So 10 days after the NBA combine ends is the deadline for NBA draft prospects who still have college eligibility to make their decision on what they're going to do. And so that this year, that date, that deadline is May 28th. Wow. So one way or another, 
we will know by May 28th what Damian Ball is doing, whether he's going pro, whether he's coming back to school. TCU at this point in time is is holding a spot essentially for him mm. because they're not sure what he is going to end up doing. We talked last week a little bit about the Portsmouth Invitational and, and the complications that that could create as far as would he be suspended when he comes back? How many games would that be? Would that be worth his time? Would that be worth TCU's time? Yada, yada, yada. So if you, if you want to listen to that, if you want to know more about that, you can go back to the last week's episode and listen to all of that. I'm not going to rehash that here. That was like a 20 minute conversation. So, <laughs> but um, right now, what we know is that Emmanuel Miller isn't coming back. Chuck O'Bannon is, is coming back. Did I say that right? Emmanuel Miller yes. is not coming back. Yes. Chuck O'Bannon is coming back. And Damian Ball is a maybe, which means that TCU has one, potentially two open roster spots still to finalize their roster and put together a, a team for, for 2023-24. So Ball is on the fence. We don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, we'll know in about a month's time what he's going to be doing um, for the rest of his career. Which... Makes things very, very complicated because uh -huh. there are roster spots to fill, but you don't uh -huh. know how many. And there are other talented players looking at TCU that could really help out this team. But Jamie Dixon is in a holding pattern, and those guys are probably not going to want to wait another month to make a decision. Who are some of the names that we should be paying attention to that are in the portal and interested in TCU that may take up one and or both of those potential spots? Yeah, so... I last... gave one to you because I looked at all of those last names and said, Jamie can say these. <laughs> uh, it helps when you've heard them say their names, yeah. but uh, you yeah. know, I, uh, you know, last week on this podcast and the last two weeks on this podcast, we've talked a lot about the recruits that have been in town, the guys that are visiting, and they've really just almost exclusively been guards outside of Mustafa yeah. from coastal Carolina, who's now committed. Now it's kind of flipping, right? Because the question mark has been, well, TCU's got maybe some capable guards in the fold now, but what are they going to do as far as their front yeah. court is concerned? You've lost Eddie Lampkin to the portal. He's going to Colorado. You've lost Suleiman Dumbia. He's going to Sam Houston, I believe. Um, you've lost um, two of your your main four, quote-unquote, big men. Of course, when you're considering you know, six, eight, Jacoby Coles is one of those guys not really his ideal skill set. You'd rather yeah. have him be your stretch four. And with Emmanuel Miller leaving – He's the guy. He's the guy. I think that really slots in at that starting four For sure. spot. Whether that's next to Xavier Cork, Mustafa, whoever it is, I think Jacoby Coles is your four starting four guy next year, and I think that's great. That's a with great, the with the improvement yeah. that he made this year with the, his uh, people. People dunked on him for his three point shooting early in the season. If you were one of those people please, for the love of God, go look at his three-point shooting from <laughs> yeah. the start of February on. The, dude was, was on a, the dude was on a heater yeah. for like six consecutive weeks. He shot like 65% from three-point range. And you're going to say, oh, well, he wasn't shooting many. He was only shooting two or three per game. Okay. What's, what better, do. Yeah. what's better than a guy who understands his role and is going to go out there and execute it at the highest level, right? He was asked to take two or three threes per game. And he hit them at a ridiculous clip in the last half of this of, of the season last year. So he's a guy I'm very excited about. I'm super, super high on him coming into yeah, to next agree. year. And I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I was also super, super high on Xavier Court going into last year. And he's going to be your starting center this year. 
right? Barring something tragic happening. Um, and he, I think he had a really good season last year as well. So you've seen growth from those two guys, two more transfers, by the way, yeah. that have come into the program and it excelled under Jamie Dixon have really shown some really good growth, but back that was, that was my little soapbox about Jacoby. Cole. That Shout was you to tooting your own horn. I know you said you weren't going to, but there was some tooting going on and we're going to allow toot. it because you're right. You, you tooted just a little bit. I did toot just a little bit. Anyways, Guys that are going to be those are things uh, you probably hear at home a lot from your sons, right? <laughs> definitely only exclusively them. <laughs> yeah. Um, never me, only them. Uh, guys to keep an eye on though, as far as transfer portal recruits that TCU is focusing on now that they kind of have the guard situation a little bit figured out. They could add another guard, obviously, depending on what Baugh decides to do. That's obviously going to happen a little bit later in the process, which means you know you might be scrambling a little bit, but. I, with with the guys that they've got on the roster now that have signed already, all four of those transfer portal guys have signed on the dotted line. They're going to be here. That's a really good core. Okay. Anyways, big men. First, Russell Chewa, who is a center from South Florida. He's played his last three seasons at South Florida. Last year, he uh, averaged 11 points and 8.6 rebounds per game. He's seven feet tall. He's 280 pounds. He's a massive body, That's a big dude, a massive a big dude body in the paint. Um, he was on campus last week, really quick in and out. He recently announced the top three of TCU, Central Florida, and Georgia. The coaching staff feels really good about him. They like him. They like his size. They like his athleticism. The one area that he hasn't really shown up as a seven footer is in shot blocking. Mm. I think he's got twenty total from his time at South Florida mm. over three seasons. But again, you're talking about a seven-footer who's almost averaging a double-double last year who can come in and really provide you some good rebounding support, some good scoring support down low, and um, is a body who, regardless of how many shots he actually blocks, is going to alter a lot of shots and a lot of game plans. Um, And that is something that was wildly absent from TCU last year, even when Eddie Lampkin was in the lineup. Right. I think you mentioned it earlier. Chuck O'Bannon was the leading shot blocker on this team last year. Uh, And that, I mean, Eddie, Eddie played in 27 games, I think. So, you know, you're talking about a six eleven guy who was getting out blocked by a six, seven wing player. Um, And yes, Eddie had a lot of other intangibles that were really helpful for the team until they weren't, uh, you know, and, and was a good rebounder, that kind of thing, but still, um, getting a seven footer on your roster who has, you know, three really quality seasons under his belt, like Chewa is huge. Um, Fun fact about him. He started his career though at Texas tech. His freshman year was at Texas tech. So that's another plus I think in the eyes of TCU's coaches is that he has as little as it was. And as, as long ago as it was a little bit of big 12 experience, he kind of understands the, he understands the league. I mean, he was playing for Chris Beard for that year. So he's got, you know, he was in a war, war zone for a little while there, I think. But yeah. um, so that's another, a name to keep an eye on. Another one who I need to follow up. I, I'm not sure how much interest TCU has in him, but I know he has interest in TCU is a, a freshman center from uh, Southern California, USC. Uh, he is originally from San Antonio, Vincent uh, Iwuchukwu is uh another seven footer seven one he's only 235 pounds wow. though which is uh, based on rosters 
only five pounds more than Xavier Corkways. Wow. So pretty skinny dude, but also just a freshman, right? So there's some, maybe some opportunity to fill out a little bit more averaged about five and a half points. And uh, I typed that number backwards. That should be two and a half rebounds per game last year, not 5.2, um, but five, five and a half points and two and a half rebounds per game. And limited, limited minutes, limited minutes as a freshman, um, a lot of upside um, again, interested in, in coming to TCU don't know how much I don't know where he stacks up as far as some of these other big men um, go for the Frogs coaching staff. And then the last I, I think last week I mentioned the Austin P center yeah. transfer Elijah Hutchins Everett. I think the Frogs have moved on from him. Okay. Um, I think he's looking elsewhere uh, to play his hoops. I, he's not going to be a horn frog, though, I can tell you that much. Um, and then just another note, you know, uh, PJ Haggerty the former TCU guard who transferred after his freshman year, he was a redshirt here last year, has committed yeah. to Tulsa. So okay. he's going to be going up and, and playing for the Golden Hurricane in Conference USA. I think that'll be a really good fit for him. That league will be really good for him um, as, and for his skill set and what he's capable yeah, of doing. So sure. He's going to light it up. He's going to score a lot of points. He's going to score a lot of points. He's going to score They're a lot of points. not going to win a lot of games probably, but he's going to score a lot of points. He's going to look good though. And I think that'll give yeah. him an opportunity to maybe yeah. get back into the power five level in a year yeah. or two. So uh, I hope, I hope so, because I think yeah. I, I like the kid a lot and, yes. and it didn't work out here, but Fun player. Yeah. you know, when you've got these, uh, when, you, when you have Mike miles, uh, PJ yeah. Haggerty is not going to get a lot of playing time. Yeah. So there is that. So that's, you know, that's kind of what's going on with hoops. Cruton and, and other hoops news right now. Again, it's it's kind of a quiet period for them, and um, they might have one or two more announcements here before Damian Ball uh, figures out what he's doing. But other than that, they're kind of cruising along. Yeah, well, I think that that uh, segues us nicely into um, a, a program that is also cruising along. Um, we've been hyping up uh, TC Beach volleyball quite a bit. Over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, they've been ranked number one. They fell to number two after losing their first and only match of the season to UCLA. Uh, but they are headed into the CCSA conference tournament, uh, beach volleyball. Big 12 does not have a beach volleyball, um, you know, sport. And so they kind of gather from all over the country um, in order to play. But they'll be down in Gulf Shores uh, this weekend. They're the number one seed in that tournament for a second straight year. They're ranked number two in the country right now. Um, I had a chance to, to sit down um, with Coach Hector Gutierrez, with Rochelle Scott, and with Daniela um, Alvarez uh, last week um, for for a great just like a 30, 40 minute interview, uh, just talking to all three of them at once. It was it was a blast. It's such a, a, a great program. So many great uh, personalities on that team. And it was really fun just to kind of get to know what built that program. And, you know, Hector Gutierrez was great and talking about he was associate head coach and, and on the staff at Florida State when TCU called two years into that program being founded. And it was kind of the question of, yeah, I want to be a head coach, but beach volleyball in the middle of the Metroplex in Texas, and like not much of a, not much of a driving force there. And he said that he visited and he was so impressed with the investment that TC was willing to make in that program. Um, I think when it started, you heard a lot of people just kind of saying, oh, this is fulfilling a Title IX requirement. Uh, we needed, we needed a small, cheap sport to get some more female scholarships, but this, I mean, pound for pound might be the most expensive sport on campus because they do not play another, I mean, I think there's one other beach volleyball program in the state of Texas, maybe two. Um, uh, Texas A&M, uh, Corpus Christi has a beach volleyball program that's pretty good. But there's a ton of travel. There's a ton of travel for recruiting. Most of the recruits come from out of state because there's not a lot of beach volleyball programs at the high school level. Um, and though most of those kids do play indoor, 
they're also playing beach in high school. So um, it's been a huge financial investment, but it's one that's really paid off because uh, Hector has, has really grown this program to something special. And it was great to talk to Rochelle and Daniela, um, who signed on as, as freshmen at the time when that program was not very good. And they weren't entirely sure what the potential was, but they Hector sold them a vision and they bought in. And now as seniors, they are competing for, for a team that has legitimate national championship aspirations. Um, Rochelle was great. She talked about how last year they went in with kind of a sense of entitlement to the NCAA tournament as one of the eight teams invited um, to compete for a national championship and kind of expected just to cruise to, you know, the semifinals and got knocked out early, you know, won their first match, lost the next two um, and, and got bounced well before they should have. And so there's been a different level of hunger um, and, and drive this season. They also just, uh, Daniela was great. She had only played um, for the Spanish national team. So she had never played in front of a home crowd before like TCU. And she talked about, you know, just being, you know, on the sand pits next to the wreck, people walking by, there's a DJ, there's music, families are out there. She said that like the whole football team comes out sometimes, the whole tennis team will be out there. And that um, she told a great anecdote about they were playing at Florida State, I think this year. And one of the players was like, man, I'm so glad we're not playing in front of your home crowd. That's so intimidating. I hate playing at TCU um, because so many of those other athletes show up. Um, and then they also talked a lot about the culture right now, about, you know, how TCU football's kind of time on, on that national level really trickles down to the other sports. And Hector talked about them being at the airport and uh, people say, oh, TCU, TCU, that's awesome. Go Frogs, whatever. And then go beach volleyball. You guys have a beach volleyball team. And then they get to say, yeah. And, you know, we just happen to be ranked number one in the in the country. And they're like, TCU has a number one ranked beach volleyball team. And, it, and it's really cool to see how, um, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And, you know, we've seen that obviously in the investment in rifle and men's tennis, um, you know, in, in, in the facilities across campus. Uh, but TCU volleyball is a, a real hidden gem on that campus that, um, deserves a lot more publicity um, and a lot more attention. And also like those girls are just badasses. Like they are, they, they have like lost, I think less than 10 total uh, games sets over the course of this entire season. I mean, when you talk about a dominant program, nobody has been more dominant than this program um, this season at TCU. Yeah. And, you know, in the midst of that conversation, you, you got Hector to talk a little bit about, you know, the trickle down effect of football to the other athletics programs. Um, you know, what was, what was his insight into that? I know we've talked a little bit about it on the podcast in previous episodes, and we've given Jeremiah Donati his shout out for being committed to supporting some of the smaller programs, quote unquote, smaller programs within the athletic department to the extent that he does. But what, what did coach Gutierrez have to say uh, as far as that was concerned? You know, I think that um, one of the things that he talked about is how they know that football and basketball really drives the bus, but now they have so many alum and so many donors calling up and saying, well, we want everywhere, to every sport at TCU to be good. What do you guys need? How can we help? Um, and, and just how just the visibility helps in recruiting. You know, I asked him, I was like, you know, Sonny Dykes talked about those recruits picking up the phone that never would. Is that the same for you? And he was like, oh, absolutely. Like everybody knows who TCU is now. And I think we have a, a clip from, from Hector as well. And so um, I'll kind of let him use his words to tell us a little bit more about that. Football is, is pretty much where it runs, uh, you know, uh, the whole thing along with basketball. And um, and it's huge for us because it just put us on the map too as a school and as a team. I mean, probably the girls can tell you now the airports, everyone just, you know, talks about, you know, of course, because the football was national, like everyone was seeing it. But now 
we tell them and probably they ask the girls, hey, you play beach volleyball, really? Where, where are, you, are you number one? And we tell the girls, say yes, and they're surprised. So stuff like that. And it comes along with the donors. Now people want to help. Now people, we have a lot of like nice people and alumni and people who wants to help um, TCU know Football Soleil. And, and now it's more like, hey, how we can make other sports successful because we want to be successful at every sport. And that's what TCU does. They want to be competitive. We're like a small school comparing with, with others. But uh, but we have all the tools to be competitive, and um, and and tying along what you're saying before, like I think is I don't think we rival with within the athletes, but I think in silent everyone look to the other side and say I want to be, you know, I want to be number one. I be wanna, I want to be like the football guys. I want to be like the basketball guys. I want to be like the beach volleyball girls. So will you like we work out in the same room and and or the tennis. You know, tennis is doing great too. You know, yeah. so it's kind of yeah. like. You know, like it's it's not a rival. It's like we support each other really well. And that as a student athlete, it's like why I cannot be that person, you know? If mm-hmm. I'm here in the same school, I have the same tools. You know, we have good coaches. The school is behind it. And that's one of the motivators, I think, uh, we have a TCU that a lot of people don't have. We're like a family. And we see each other pretty much every day. <laughs> so especially the athletes. Small school, and that's, yeah. And that's cool. Like That's cool because they talk about it. They, you know, they're competitive. They're we have a super high ranked teams that they can we kind of like we can it kind of like we're on the same page if that makes sense yeah so and, and seeing that every day that's what is kind of one of the motivators even sometimes we don't notice it but i do you know i mean we talk coaches and i think everyone is super happy super stoked about every single sport at tcu right now awesome i mean that's it, it's it, it takes a, a special person to commit to being the head coach of a program that's as fledgling as TCU was in those years. Uh, and then for him to do what he's done in such a short amount of time to build it into nothing less than a juggernaut that has national championship expectations year over year. Uh, I mean, it takes, it takes such a special kind of person to do that. TCU is so incredibly lucky to have Hector Gutierrez running that program. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a special player to commit to that too. Um, when you talk about Mike miles, you know, wanted to put on for a city and how important it was for him to be one of those guys um, that helped change the culture of a program. And, you know, I think Quentin Johnston kind of said the same thing when he chose TCU over Texas and bringing that program back to prominence. Um, and it's really cool when those athletes can see the, the forest for the trees, so to speak, and then get to live out their dreams and, you know, Rochelle was very open of like, yeah, we were good last year. We were really good. It was really great to be that successful, but we didn't get the job done. And I am going to be more successful my senior season. I am going to, we are going to do more. We're going to to finish the job this year. And um, I'll tell you, listening to them talk, it's really hard to believe they'll do anything but that. You know, and, and uh, Rochelle and Daniela both talked a little bit about, the, you know, the culture kind of driving that as well. Here's what, here's what they had to say about the team culture for TCU volleyball. Um, the end of last year was a huge learning point for us because like we were number two going to nationals and we kind of let that go into our heads a little bit. I think we kind of just assumed we'd like make it to the quarterfinals, semifinals and all that way. So I think stepping into the light this year, 
regardless of the rankings, we never wanted that to like be the top of the mind. Hector always says it doesn't matter what jerseys um, are on the other side of the court. Like jerseys don't win games. It's like the players that are wearing them. So it's really big to kind of just like put all that aside, rankings, jerseys, seed numbers, even like it doesn't matter. You're just out there competing, especially like Hector mentioned, we have a huge team. So there are a ton of girls on our team that unfortunately aren't getting to see the court as much. So we want to be able to go out there and fight and play for them and win for them to be able to win all together in the end. So I think just kind of taking it one step at a time and not getting looking to in the future, because of course it's exciting what's ahead of us, but um, starting February, of course, we wanted to play UCLA, but that's not till the end of April. So we had to play all those other teams um, going into season. And I think that's really what helped led us to our great success. Whenever you walk into that locker room, you know that every single person is gonna be there for you in your butt and like in your lowest and at your hikes. And I think that plays a huge part knowing that maybe even if it's not your best day, you're gonna have uh, like 24 more girls behind your back having you and like making you be at your highest level because like even like yes yeah, not saying competing like no every day on practice like they make you be better and I think that's a huge thing Melissa I mean that's that's great interview all the way around is um is that full interview going to be posted anywhere or you're doing a write-up about yeah, that. yeah. So there's an article. I'm gonna leave this one unlocked just because I want more people to look sure. in and see what TCU volleyball is doing. And so um yeah, we're we're gonna be following them. I told them we'll jump back on with them next week after the, the conference tournament and heading into the national championship. Um and and I just I think it's a program that I hope more TC fans will pay attention to. And you know, you obviously can't catch them at home this year, but um if you if you want to next year, um it's a great spot, good family friendly, free entertainment. Go watch a game, there's a DJ, there's music, it's it's pretty crazy. And uh, I think that program's not going anywhere anytime soon. So go to head to frogs insider, Patreon, um, give it a, give it a read and make sure you're following that, that program on social media and uh, following along as they try to play for a conference championship. Yeah. We talked about how exciting it was to, you know, kind of track recruiting for football and basketball this time of year, but uh, it's equally as exciting, if not more so to watch beach volleyball compete at this level, to watch men's tennis, men's yeah. tennis, what they just did and winning a big 12 championship, yeah. taking down Texas uh, over the weekend as well. Um, uh, it, it's, it's fun to watch some of these other programs that maybe don't always have the spotlight be yeah. incredibly successful, uh, and watch those student athletes celebrate their moment. Yeah. And there's a little bit more room to do that right now because, uh, <laughs> one of the other mm -hmm. major sports at TCU, um, has really hit a rough patch. Uh, Jamie, we went deep into TCU baseball a week ago. Um, but, uh, since, since you kind of talked about some of the, maybe the internal issues going on, uh, is not gone well for the Horn Frogs, uh, who drop a series at West Virginia and a good West Virginia team, but they got swept and it wasn't close. Uh, the run ruled on Sunday on the getaway day game. Uh, what is going on with TCU baseball? What do we need to know? And, uh, you know, it, it, can we have any hopes or expectations? I don't, oops, sorry. None of them, Siri. Um, sorry. <laughs> You're good. I don't know what just happened there. Wow. Um, I, uh, yeah, but you know, what could we expect as this team kind of winds down the regular season, starts looking ahead to the conference tournament? Is there enough time to turn things around? Uh, all right. So to the last question first, is there time to turn things around? Yes, there is time to turn things around simply because the big 12 is a little bit down this year when it comes to baseball overall. It 
I mean, I mean, West Virginia, they just got swept by a really good West Virginia team or a, a strong West Virginia team. Maybe not really good. I mean, they're 29 11. They're pretty dang good. Uh, who sit at the top of the conference right now, right? So they're at the top of the conference. Oklahoma State, who TCU took two of three games from this season, is sitting at number two. Uh, and TCU still has in front of them series against the third and fourth teams in the conference in Kansas State and Texas. They host Texas this weekend. They go to Kansas State to close out the regular season. Uh, and so when you're asking a question like, is there still time? Yeah, of course there's still time. Now they have to get pretty hot because the conversation has gone from, is TCU going to host to, is TCU going to make the NCAA tournament? As the, at this point in time, they're 22 and 18. They're seven and eight in the big 12. If the season ended today. They're not in, right? Then they, they, they've missed the tournament for the first time since 2018, which is a problem. Um, they do have opportunities left to get back in that conversation and work their way into a three seed, maybe even a two seed. I, I think hosting is pretty much completely out of the question at this point, unless they go on an insane run uh, and, and not win out, but you know, virtually win out, get to 30 wins, win the Big 12 tournament. That kind of level of, of success would maybe get them back into the conversation for hosting. Um, but right now, you know, with Kirk Sarlos and, and his coaching staff, the goal has to be putting together a team and putting together a lineup that can consistently put you in a position to win baseball games because right now, I mean, they've lost five in a row. They've lost six of their last seven. Uh, and if I'm correct, I need to vamp while I'm Googling. Um, I don't think many of those losses in the last week and a half have been terribly close. Yeah. Right. I mean, they lost 17 to seven on Sunday against West Virginia. You've mentioned that already. They lost Saturday by three runs, seven to four. They lost Friday, five to four. So that was a one run game. They lost midweek last week to Lamar, nine to six. They lost to UNC Wilmington by scores of 12 to six and 14 to six over the weekend, two weekends ago, right? So this is a team that has not only not been winning games, but they haven't been competitive in several games along that stretch either. And that's the bigger concern. You know, I don't know where they can find the pitching that they need to have down the stretch to go on one of those kind of miracle runs that I just mentioned, because they've really been struggling, not only in the starter department, but in the bullpen a little bit as well. And it all kind of compounds, right? So when you, when you take a look at what TCU baseball has really struggled with this year, you can say, yeah, the bullpen hasn't always been great, but some of that is situational, right? Yeah. You got to look at the positions that they've been put in as bullpen guys uh, and, and that hasn't always been very favorable when you've got Cam Brown, who only goes an inning and a quarter or inning and a, and a third, uh, on Sunday against UNC Wilmington. Um, okay, well now he's loaded the bases and you've got a reliever that has to come yeah. in and try and get out of that jam. You know, you've got, um, Ben Abelt making his first career start, uh, on Sunday against West Virginia. That's not very fair to a true freshman, first of all to have to put him in that kind of a situation. And then he doesn't get very deep into the game. And so now you're, you're in the third game of a series where you haven't won. Uh, you've given up a ton of runs already. And now you have to go back into your bullpen to pitch six and a six and a third innings. Yeah. And, and that's just, it's, it, it takes a toll on a bullpen to have to go back to them time and time and time again in unfavorable situations 
where their backs are against the wall right when they get into a game. Well, it's just super disappointing to be doing this much tinkering. And I mean, if you look at the last you know couple of weekend rotations, how many changes there have been to still to be in late April and be mm-hmm. doing this continually, this kind of tinkering has got to be disheartening for the team as a whole. It's got to be disheartening for the guys. It's got to be disheartening for for the coaching staff as well. I mean, you you brought in some of these older guys who I think really were capable of taking this team where they wanted to go this year, which was not just the playoffs, but Omaha. I mean, I want to talk about Ryan Vanderhei for a second because I love this kid a ton, and I thought he was a really great addition to the roster. I still think he is. His success earlier this year was based on the fact that he and Sarlos worked all offseason on a third pitch. That was... Uh, that that made his fastball more deadly. That made his slider more deadly. The fact that he was adding a changeup to the mix was really good for him. But as ha- as happens in baseball, and we've seen it with freshmen too this year, when the book gets out on you, the book gets out on you. Yeah. And so we've seen Van- we saw Vander High's adjustment earlier in the year. He had a great first five or six starts on Friday night, uh, and then the book got out, and we saw the fastball lose some of its luster, some of its control once they started hitting his change up a little bit more, uh, you know, and, and so they started to take advantage of him a little bit. Same thing can be said for Cam Brown, who had a really strong start to the year and then has faded recently. You know, Cole Klecker maybe has hit a little bit of a wall, got pushed yeah. to the Friday night start this week and got knocked around a little bit. Book's probably starting to get out on him. Um, books probably starting to get out on Chase Hoover and Ben Abelt and Louis Rodriguez and some of these other guys that uh, have have really given more than you could ever expect true freshmen to give mm-hmm. in their first season at the college level. You know, I was listening to uh, the Lepton Drinking Club podcast a, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago now. I can't remember who their guest was, but it's a former TCU pitcher who said the biggest, he, he was currently pitching professional baseball. Um, I think it was Brian Howard. He's in, yeah, the, it was Howie. In, yeah. in the Brewers uh, organization now who said without a doubt in his mind, the biggest, the biggest jump in his entire baseball career from childhood to where he currently is was when he went from high school to college based on the level of competition that he was facing yeah. at the plate. And so you think about current professional baseball player saying that was the biggest jump for him. And now you look at what these freshmen have done this year. First of all, shout out to all of those freshmen because they've been incredible. Second of all, it's a reasonable expectation for them to hit a wall. And when you're relying that much on young talent and they start to get to this point in the season and hit a wall, and you have some of those older guys who are maybe underperforming a little bit because the adjustments they've made are now being adjusted to it's, it's, understandable for this team to be in the position that it's in to a certain extent when you've, I mean, we talked last week about the production that they lost on in, in pitching that the leadership that they lost with Tommy Sacco and Gray Rogers uh, leaving the the clubhouse and, and going and playing elsewhere uh, or graduating. But, you know, uh, at, at this point, you, know, you look at the, the, the remaining schedule that TCU baseball has, and it's a really hard path to the postseason, they, they host Texas this upcoming weekend. After that, they host Cal State Fullerton. A little bit of a breath, maybe against Baylor, although they've won some games recently. Yeah. And then they travel to Kansas State, who's top three in the Big Twelve right now, to close out their regular season. And midweek, you know, we're talking about the team that just lost to Lamar. They still have midweek games against Dallas Baptist and Texas State on the schedule as well. Uh, that's a that's a tough road to hoe, and and they've got to figure it out and get it together. 
at this point in the season, though, I mean, you kind of have what you have. And I, I think the struggle right now for Sarlos is he doesn't have, you know, three arms that he can trust to go out there on a weekend and give them even four innings. And that puts you in such an impossible position as a manager to have to make some of those really hard decisions. And those compound as well from the coach's decisions to say, these guys don't know where they're going to be pitching or what situations they're going to be put in on any given weekend. And so they don't have an expectation of how they can go about preparing for the roles that they have to play. So it all, we've seen it all kind of start to compound on itself this year. And and that's really kind of how I think they've gotten to this point. Is it possible to get out of this point? Yes. But some dudes have to step up and, and do so really quickly. Um, but, you know, this might be just kind of the, the deep breath, all right, rebuild year. Let's, let's try and focus on keeping this freshman class intact going into next year uh, and continuing to add talent onto the roster uh, and hoping that these, soft, these freshmen, when they become sophomores, are, are more capable of getting through an entire season uh, and being well, that. And that was going to be my next point too, is that he's got to do all this, manage all of this and and deal with the team that's a little bit down on itself and keep them together because the talent, like the talent has not been the question. And so you want to keep these guys with a positive mindset towards their futures at TCU baseball, because it's so much easier to lose a team. And these are the types of seasons that can see a complete and total roster, you know, breakup. Uh, and so Sarlis has got his work cut out for him to, to kind of deal with go, what's going on, not just on the field, but in the clubhouse as well, and make sure that these guys want to come back and that he can develop this solid nucleus so that this is a one-year blip in the radar, not the not the beginning of a, of a difficult rebuild. Yeah, and and I will say this. I, I want to take a, take a moment out to just kind of put this other crap to bed because I've seen a lot of the stuff on Twitter. Uh, I've had some people send me some texts and stuff about Sarlos specifically. And uh, the things that are being said about him, I think, are absolutely outlandish and ridiculous yeah. at this point. The, Kirk Sarlos is one of the, the best human beings I've ever met in my yeah. entire life. And I really do like him a ton. Um, I think the, you can't talk about TCU's four consecutive College World Series appearances without talking yeah. about Kirk Sarlos and the For way sure. he coached that pitching staff, those pitching staffs, right? So I, I think that we need to understand that this is all the crap about not not caring not wanting to win not you know taking things 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 change when leadership changes is kind of what i was trying to get to last week and when you've had leadership turnover at the coach head coaching position and assistant coaching position like this team has had the last two years they're going to be growing pains yeah right now we are witnessing those growing pains does that mean it will be like this forever no does that mean they're automatically going to go back and be awesome and go to college world series all the time again? No, we've got to see them prove it. They've got to develop a little bit and prove it, but don't, don't let one half of a of really struggle of a season. And really, you know, I mean, three weeks of, of kind of really a downturn outside of the Oklahoma state weekend erase in your mind, what Kirk Sarlos has done for this program in the last decade. Right. I think he's earned the right to show that he can build a program a lot. Like we talked about last week, Sonny Dykes has earned the right yeah. to show that he can build a TCU football program. Now that he's done what he did with a pretty stacked roster, let Kirk Sarlos show the same thing, right? I think there's plenty of time for him to iron some of these wrinkles out and to get things figured out. Does he have some big questions to answer on the field? Yes. Are there some big issues that maybe need to get ironed out off the field? Yes. Every program goes through those. I have no doubt that Kirk Sarlos is the guy that can get it done. 
I completely agree. Yeah. I think he's absolutely the right man for the job. Um, I think that, that he, you know, this is, but this is when you're tested, right. Um, it, there, there are wartime generals and there are peacetime generals and, um, you know, Kirk Charlos has, has gotten to lead and be a part of a successful program because he helped build a very successful program. Um, and this is where it'll test his mettle. And, and I, I mean, I don't want anybody else to be the guy that has to rise up in this time of strife. Um, I fully expect him to make the right moves and, and do, and I know the one thing I know without a shadow of a doubt, he's going to do right by his players and he's going to do right by TCU. Um, the, the, he is a, a high character person who's recruited high character guys. And some of those guys are going to leave. I mean, that's just the nature of college athletics in general. We've seen a lot of really talented players leave TCU football. It's just part of it. Um, but I, I think that he's going to, I said that blip in the radar, not the beginning of the end here by any stretch. Yeah. And, and on the other side of that pillow too, there are all of the guys that have come in. Yeah. Not only in, in baseball, but in football and hoop. We talked about hoops yeah. at length just now. Um, <clears throat> is, the, is the season maybe not what we want it to be? Yes. Sure. Is the program maybe not what we want it to be? I don't, I don't think we're, I don't, yeah. think, we're I don't think we're there yet. We're not no. there yet. Um, not at all. So if you disagree with me, uh, that's fine. Let me know on Twitter. You normally do listeners, yeah. which yeah. is why I love you. Yeah. Um, but I think that's going to do it, Melissa, for this episode of Frogs Insider. You can find us, like we said at the top of the show, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pod, Pocket Casts, all the other places you can find your, your podcasts. You can find us there as part of the Republic of Football Network for Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Make sure you subscribe. Listen to the show every week. Listen to the other shows in the network every week as well. There are some great content creators in this network that we're very, very proud to be uh, alongside uh, kind of building up this podcast network for Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Super cool. Meanwhile, you can read our writing as well on patreon.com slash frogs insider. Uh, very excited to be putting our, our sports thoughts on paper, digital paper at the very least yeah. there. So you can subscribe for the low, low price of three bucks a month. And a perk of that too, is that you actually get to listen to this podcast a little bit early as well. Cause that's the first place I posted before sending it off. And we're pretty long winded. So if you can get a day's advance uh, notice of listening to us, that's usually helpful Easy. for you. And you're much easier yeah. on you. You can break it up in chunks for that. 20 minute commute commute and, and you know, yeah. get, get to work and home again, a couple of times before we have yeah. finished rambling, but. And come yell at us on Twitter. If there's things that you want us to talk about, you have questions too. We probably do. Maybe next week could be a good time to do a, an open call for questions. Um, it's yeah. been a while since we've done one of those. So um, at frog preacher at the coach, Melissa, um, you know, we love, we love talking to you guys and interacting there. So appreciate all the support everybody's given. This is, this has been a lot of fun for us. Um, and, and it's awesome that, I said that people still want to listen to us talk and ramble and write and ramble after all these years. Ten years in, and some people still haven't gotten tired of us. Others have, and that's Other, totally many fine. have, many they have. I get it. I'm just thankful, Melissa, that you didn't light the beam once on this episode. So listen, I thought about it, but in light of De'Aaron Fox's um, recent injury uh, and and two consecutive losses um, on the road to the Warriors, we'll see what happens Wednesday night and how many lightings of the beam there will be next weekend. And maybe that team in purple up in Sacktown can can figure it out with the backup, much like the purple team in Fort Worth did this year. So we'll see. That was good. All right. That was yeah, good. <laughs> that's how we're going to end this show. All right, folks, you can listen to us next week as well. We'll be back with another episode. Maybe it'll be a good time, like Melissa said, for a mailbag. So keep your eyes peeled for that. From Melissa Treebusser, I'm Jamie Plunkett. This is the Frogs Insider Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Go Frogs.